Navigating the Storm, Episode 8, The System Doesn't Work. I'm Anna Knight, a personal development coach and seasoned survivor of life storms. You can find me online at annanightcoach.com or over my Facebook community, Port in the Storm. On this podcast, I speak to women and non-binary people about their lives, their journey to where they are now and the big issues that they want to see change in the world. My guests aren't necessarily famous, although I'm sure I can always make room for Meghan Markle. The thing that they have in common is that they've all brought fresh ideas and inspiration into my life. Today, I'm talking to Liz Taylor, a former teacher on a mission to empower parents and skill us all up in maths. Liz is one of the fantastic members of Port in the Storm, and she's someone who inspires me on a regular basis. Our conversation today starts with maths education and feminism, and ends up at teacher burnout and the impact of our current education system on all involved. Welcome to the show. If we could start by you telling us a little bit about yourself. Okay, so my name's Liz Taylor, um, which is great because it's quite a nice famous name and I get so many comments about it. <laughs> um, I am deputy CEO for a charity that works with adults with autism and learning disabilities. And I also run my own business, which is quite exciting because I'm an ex-maths teacher, which then normally makes all conversation go completely dead. But I support parents with their maths education for their children. I was a teacher for 16 years, but I don't like to define myself by that. So I'm a jack of all trades, but I never say master of none. That is definitely something that's a no (laughs) oh good it always really winds me up when people are like master of none I'm like no like I'm sure there's stuff you've mastered (laughs) yeah absolutely yeah master of lots fab oh I love it let's start with the one that everybody hates and go with maths let's do it yeah (laughs) because I have to admit maths is for me um a little bit of a not a phobia I had a maths teacher in year eight who told me that girls weren't very good at maths and that really knocked my confidence. So it is, I have that moment of going, numbers, where the the panic sets in. Is that something you find a lot? Absolutely loads. I used to teach in secondary schools and so many people have got a phobia and so many parents have a phobia of maths. When I was teaching, I always thought, I want to do something about this and didn't really have the opportunity but when I left teaching I decided to start tutoring and I tutor girls only Mm -hmm. who have got a low confidence in maths because I love working with them I started tutoring them and then I thought well I need to do something to help the parents because quite a lot of people just so many things have stopped them from being able to do maths over the years that it's something I can help them with Mm. yeah I've, I've come across loads of people it's so normal I hate telling people that I'm a maths teacher or that I can do maths (laughs) for that reason. (laughs) And it's really interesting that you use the word low confidence. So with your tutoring, is is part of it about the confidence and the getting people to believe that they can do maths? 
Absolutely, like 100%. I'm a really big believer in growth mindset. Mm-hmm. All of the work of Carol Dweck, where she she talks about how you can learn to do things, but you need to have the right mindset and the right attitude, but also the right teachers and the right skills mm-hmm. and methods. I think that, well, I, I actually really strongly believe that the education system that we've been subjected to has actually knocked lots of people's confidence with their maths. Mm. And that's probably where a lot of people then get their maths phobia from. I mean, you said yours came from a teacher. Yeah. So. I can vividly remember it. Like, it, it's weird that it is such a pivotal memory. And I think for me, the problem then was, like, that happened in year eight I had the same maths teacher all the way through to year 11 so in my head I had this narrative of I can't do maths and Mel finds it really funny now because like we'll be sitting down to do some budget stuff together and I'll be doing maths and as soon as she points it out I like freeze and she's like how is it that you can be comfortable with the numbers until you remember that they're numbers and then all of a sudden you're like oh god no like numbers But yeah, it is that confidence thing for me, I think, not an ability thing. Yeah, it is. And for quite a lot of people as well, it's the methods that they were taught that made them have that freeze with it. Mm -hmm. Because you you see one method and you think, well, I can't do it. And therefore you reinforce that, don't you? You use that frame of mind Mm -hmm. that you can't do it. And one girl I tutored last year was really visual. So I had all every colour pen under the sun out every visual method possible just to try and get her to be able to really quite enjoy it Mm -hmm. and the first session her face she looked so stressed and that really makes me really really sad because so many people hate maths or you know really struggle with it and actually by the end of the session we were laughing joking having fun and I knew how to work with her but I just yeah I wish that loads of more parents or teachers were able to work with them in that way Mm -hmm to stop that yeah like Um, I like that idea of putting the fun back into it yeah yeah there's no reason why maths should be any less fun than science or geography or yeah yeah it's got like a a cultural thing hasn't it Mm -hmm. because loads of people say I can't do maths and it's like it's okay to say that but I don't go around saying well I can't read yeah (laughs) I sort of feel it's my mission to try and go out there and and change people's ideas about that because actually I think anybody can do maths but we just need to not use the word maths Mm -hmm. like is there this gender split then that you work exclusively with girls is that because the need is there more with girls or I think so I prefer working with girls. I found in the classroom that girls were the the ones that I just preferred. And I ended up actually teaching a a class of girls once, which was my favourite class. And they all had low confidence. I think the boys are just generally a bit more, I can just get on and do it. And it's almost expected that they can. Whereas for girls, I don't know what it is, but there's just some different attitude to it. And I think they're more frightened of speaking up and they're more frightened of getting it wrong. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I wonder if some of what's playing into that is that idea of girls can't do maths. I was reading an interesting book called Delusions of Gender, and it wasn't talking necessarily about maths tasks. It was talking about like logical tasks versus empathy-based mm. tasks, and how if you tell the participants that you're assessing to see how each gender performs on them, you see this kind of clear male-female divide. 
But then if you instead tell the participants that you're experimenting to see how good they are at their job and whether their skills profile matches their job, the gender differences actually disappear. And I just thought Mm. that was so interesting in terms of like you say that cultural thing of is it that we just we have that girls can't do maths, girls shouldn't do maths things still out there quite a lot. Yeah, I think we do. And of course, maths is like connected to engineering and things like that. And therefore, I think a lot of girls just see it as a boy type subject and don't see the benefits of it. But actually, if you're studying psychology, you need to be able to do maths. Mm -hmm. There's loads of other areas. We haven't got that out there so much. Yeah, I think that was one of the things because I trained as a speech therapist originally. And the volume of numbers I had to deal with as a speech therapist. And I was there going, I'm here to do words. Like, what's going on? Yep. (laughs) Like you say, numbers are in everything. It's in your household budgeting and measuring rooms to get the right size of cabinet, like all those kind of things. Yep. And maths is a language as well. There's loads of words to do with it as well that you need to learn. So it's not just all about that, but, but we need it as an everyday skill. And it's about being numerate rather than some of the maths that's taught in the general curriculum. Mm-hmm. I think you can sort of divide the curriculum up into the stuff that you really do need for everyday life and the stuff that you just need to pass the exam or to then go on and do engineering or whatever it is that we do. Mm. But it does put a lot of people off. I hate admitting that I do maths. I can't believe I'm on a podcast talking about maths. (laughs) Oh, it's brilliant. I'm loving it. So far out of the zone of things that I thought I would be podcasting about, but I think it's a really important conversation. Because like you say, if we do have this mental hang-up of girls can't do maths, then it contributes to so much. In that same book I was reading about how things like crash test dummies aren't built for women's dimensions because male engineers, just yeah. it had never occurred to them that women's bodies would need a different crash test dummy. Like, I think that other perspective is so essential in so many fields, but we're closing mm. ourselves off to a lot of stuff. Yeah, I haven't read the book you're talking about, but I've certainly over the last couple of years become really quite interested in this idea of the world around us being built for men Mm. and all of those things. I've heard the crash test dummy thing before as well. I think the maths curriculum was built for boys. Mm -hmm. You know, school, I think, was built for boys, Mm -hmm. (laughs) everything. And and as you say, we're we're not helping ourselves unless we can grasp the areas that we need to be numerate in and actually really use it in a way that's right for women. Yeah. So when you say numerate, what does it look like to be numerate? Oh, good question. That's about having the confidence to be able to solve problems, to be able to do your budget, to use maths in different ways. So it, it's some of the things you were talking about. It's about being able to do calculations, understanding just even how to use a recipe. If I get a recipe for four people and I've got a family of five, I want to be able to just make those calculations quickly and understand it rather than just have to look it up all the time or not understand. But it's about having confidence in that so that it's not holding you back or or being able to read a budget. I mean, I'm deputy CEO of a charity and I have to be able to read a budget and understand what it's telling me and know if those numbers are correct Mm -hmm. because I need to be able to look and see, is there a mistake somewhere? And if I'm not numerate, I'm just going to trust that what the information I've been given is correct without actually going, actually, there's a mistake there. Mm -hmm. But it's about having the confidence in yourself to be able to do it. 
So there's that confidence piece and I guess what I'm hearing as well then is it's about the functionality of it as well. It's yeah. It's not just knowing your way around all those maths calculations and converting recipes from four people to five people. It's that when you do it, you then have enough food to feed five people or <laughs> yes. the real world applications. Yeah, it is. And it's about just actually realising that you're using it in everyday life. Mm-hmm. And then I think removing the mindset, the frame that I can't do maths because you are doing maths. Yeah. It's what you're saying about you freezing when you're doing it, but you would still tell people that, oh, I don't like maths. And actually, I wonder how we can remove that from the conversation so that people know that they're actually doing maths and that they like it. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I'm just thinking a random piece of trivia that I read once was that in the Viking times, women did all the maths because Viking men thought maths and numbers were some kind of witchcraft. Oh, I love it. Yeah, and (laughs) it's always stuck with me, this idea of it does feel like in some ways being able to have that numerate confidence It has knock-on impacts for a lot of other areas in women's lives around like independence and relationships and all those wider knock-on things. If you've got a handle on your money and incomings, outgoings, budgeting, it can actually open a lot of other doors as well. Yeah, and being able to do your own DIY is not just the skills of being able to do it, it's being able to buy enough paint Mm -hmm. (laughs) and all of that sort of thing that's... And having the confidence that you're not having to rely on somebody else. Yeah, I am a chronic underbuyer of paint. <laughs> like I am too, to be honest. For work, we were doing a load of painting. I even did a spreadsheet for it, and I still managed to get it wrong. But... <laughs> <laughs> it's like pasta. I have too little or too much, and it's never in the middle. Yep, I'm exactly the same. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it doesn't have to be that boring, horrible subject that we did at school. Yeah, it's finding the fun in it again. And I think not being frightened of doing or being able to help your child with their homework, Mm -hmm. that's the thing for me, because although I've been tutoring girls, I've actually set up a business to support parents because I realised that too many parents are relying on tutors and it's really expensive. Mm. So I wanted to put something together that could help parents where they would be able to have the confidence to help their children with their maths. Yeah, there's that key piece, isn't there, of like, it's not just the kid, it's the parents as well. And and I wonder, like, with the business, how do you see empowering the parents as helping the kids? There's multiple things in that. So firstly, if the parent can help with the homework, for starters, then they're not going to panic. But that's going to actually change the attitude of the child. Because if they see their parent getting math skills or being able to help them, they will also see it as important and it will help their mindset. Because what I saw in the classroom was quite a few young girls who, when we got to parents' evening, the parent would say, well, I couldn't do maths either, or I don't like maths. And you begin to realise that there's almost a generational effect. Mm. So I think it can be really beneficial if the parents can tackle their own phobias. Yeah, it stops that kind of inherited belief process of going like, I couldn't do maths because my mum couldn't do maths and she couldn't do maths because her mum found it difficult. Eventually, with how women's employment has gone, you get to a point where women weren't schooled and 
if they were school, their education was definitely not around maths and those kind of academic scene subjects. It was, you know, your flower arranging and like if you go back far yeah. enough, playing the piano was an essential life skill for women. <laughs> like Yeah. Yeah. Yes, not becoming CEO of a charity or whatever that we decide to do, running our own businesses. And actually, loads of parents and particularly mothers are running their own businesses now. Mm-hmm. It's become quite a big thing, hasn't it? Whether it's doing just a multi-level marketing business or, or something like you're doing. And therefore, we need to have the skills to be able to do that. Yeah, definitely. It's a wonderful contradiction in terms being self-employed and thinking you can't do maths. Like the two, <laughs> two don't go together that easily. No, I used to think I couldn't do English, but now I'm doing social media posts, writing blog posts, all that sort of thing, putting together marketing work, and I love it. So there's no reason why other people, why can we not be that jack of all trades, isn't it? Yeah. Why can we not do that? Why can we not learn it? Because we need to be as self-employed people. Yeah. So you mentioned being a CEO of a charity. Mm-hmm. How did all that come about then? Oh, my goodness. Okay. So you've probably already picked up the hint that I don't like the education system very much. I have indeed. Yes. <laughs> yes. And I was I was actually head of maths. My degree is maths with management studies. I was head of maths for about 11 years in secondary schools and I was getting really sick of the system Mm -hmm. and I actually had a breakdown Mm -hmm. and decided to leave teaching and trying to work out what to do next was quite a difficult decision I obviously liked management I had management in my degree and I like helping people Mm-hmm. So I actually employed a career change coach. I didn't know they existed. Yeah. But by the wonder of Facebook, a Facebook ad popped up in my feed when I was searching for jobs <laughs> and found this career change coach. And she helped me work out that there are areas of my life where I'm good at helping people and I could do management and what I might be able to do. And a job came up for a local charity that was chief operating officer. And it's a charity that works with adults with autism and learning disabilities. And autism is something that's really close to my heart. So I thought, well, I'll apply for the job. And I loved it, got the job. And we know within a year, they had promoted me to deputy CEO. So it's been going really, really well. So what kind of support does the organisation offer? So we provide learning support for adults with autism who can't get a job. They've had all these stories they've been told about how they can't do things. And then we're there telling them you can do things and we give them lots of different things they can do and a reason to be proud of themselves. It feels like with quite a lot of these podcast episodes, it almost feels like we're on the brink of so many of these changes of redefining education, redefining employment and purposefulness and and yeah. all those things because at the moment there's a lot of people who aren't fitting within the boxes that exist for us who are kind of out here all independently changing their corner of the world yeah and the boxes were created a long time ago in a different culture mm-hmm. and we're still sticking with those boxes you know exam systems are designed to tell you whether people can work mm-hmm. but they're a snapshot on that day they don't necessarily fit 
Yeah, and I think anyone who's ever worked in education knows that where the holidays are doesn't fit modern living, that you have six weeks in the holidays where it can be really unsettling for kids and then they come back mm. or by the time you reach Christmas, everyone involved, teachers, kids cleaners janitors we're all exhausted by the time we hit Christmas we collapse for two weeks and then start again yeah that was one of the reasons why leaving teaching was the right thing for me because I couldn't keep going in that cycle Mm -hmm. because the cycle was burn and bust essentially you know you burn out and then you keep going until that's it and then you rest for however long and then go back and it wasn't healthy for me at all And I always felt a really strange anomaly because I was somebody who would say, well, I don't think we need the school holidays. We all moan about the kids coming back at the end of the school holidays, having forgotten everything that we've taught them previously. Well, why do we not just have shorter days Mm-hmm. and allow teachers to take their holidays when they want to so that the teachers aren't working 100 hour weeks because teachers do work you know 70 to 100 hours and it was crazy yeah I'm a big family of teachers my sister my sister-in-law my mum one of my brothers like lots of teachers in my family my dad worked in a school as well when I was a teenager and yet just seeing the impact it has on teachers and then going Although I I trained to be a speech therapist because I knew I didn't want to be a teacher and then got a job in a school, which was (laughs) an interesting choice on my part. But just seeing these amazing teachers do, like you say, the boom and must Mm. again and again and again and burn out and leave the profession or stay in the profession, but just be so exhausted. And I, I remember having a conversation with one of my friends who's a teacher who's now left teaching as well about that idea of giving up the holidays and going but is it serving as a pattern if yes you have the 13 weeks holiday but you spend most of it comatose recovering Mm. from the last bit of teaching you did it doesn't feel like it's set up to be sustainable yeah i agree (laughs) because you used to have kind of career teachers right who started it at 20 and retired at 70 yeah like i can't picture how teachers now are clinging on in there till 70 because i was burnt out of it by the time i was 26 yeah i'm not even sure how i managed 16 years Mm -hmm. to be perfectly honest i i started straight from uni well i went i actually went from uni to japan and taught in the japanese system Mm -hmm. which is just as bad as the english system Uh. um (laughs) in different ways (laughs) yeah no in different ways but just as bad so i taught in japan for a year and then i did my pgce and then started teaching. So I didn't know anything else. And to be perfectly honest, it was quite miserable Mm -hmm. because I always thought it'll be better in a year. It'll be better in two years. It'll be better in a different school. And everything I tried wasn't actually better. And I think working 60, 70 hour weeks does not suit me. I have got some health conditions and that makes it worse. You don't want to be ill in term time. You don't want to have time off for an operation. You know, the minute you're off ill, everybody's cross with you because they've got to cover your lessons. So you try and be ill in the holidays. I even went to the doctors once when I was ill in the first week of the holidays. And he said, well, you're a teacher. What do you expect? You know, it's the first week of the holidays. And if that doesn't sum up everything that's the problem, like... Absolutely, absolutely. But nobody's brave enough to actually say, we must change the system. Mm -hmm. 
I know there are some schools that have changed a little bit, but they've always been tweaks at the edges. So they'd still have like a five weeks summer holiday and maybe two weeks here and two weeks there. And I actually think we'd be better off for everybody with something that's completely different. But I don't know, maybe COVID and lockdown and all the home educating parents has done might begin to actually start that conversation off. Yeah. Like I know for my mum, it was always the thing that frustrated her a lot is people almost talked about her like teachers were lazy because they had 13 weeks holiday and yeah, such a good life to be a teacher. And I'd be seeing her there marking essays until midnight most nights and going like, well, how is this what a lazy person does? But I think there's been an opportunity for people to be like, oh my God, I've only got three of them here. Like, how do you do it when they were 30? I've heard that. Some of my colleagues have said that to me. They were like, how did you manage it? It's like, I left. <laughs> it's normally my answer. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, I think it needs people to actually be brave enough to stand up and talk about it. It's like talking to you now about the fact that actually I'm really glad I left mm-hmm. so that we've actually got an understanding of what the reality is because everybody's perception is different. Yeah. And so a parent's perception of what a teacher does isn't their reality. Therefore, it's really important that we start doing these things. I mean, If I had a magic wand and all the time in the world to do all the things that I would like to do, I'd like to collect ex-teachers' stories and try and publish them. Oh, that sounds brilliant. Yeah, I met some people and I've done some bits, but I like to try and take on the whole world and I know that I can't manage that. So (laughs) (laughs) maybe one day. The always there, though. Yeah, yeah. But but maybe one day I'll, I'll be able to get some help, get some stories out there. So, you know, maybe somebody listening to this might have the time and energy to do it. There's so many areas where we need to be telling people stories and trying to make some changes, even if they're subtle changes. So you don't go in in parents' evening and beat the teacher down, but actually you have a really good constructive conversation. That's why I want to empower parents. Mm -hmm. So one of the things I want to do with my business is actually to be able to have a one-on-one phone conversation with people if they want some advice about the education or how to deal with the school. Yeah. Because once we start working together, Mm -hmm. we can change things more. Yeah, and I think you've hit the nail on the head there about having the conversations, hearing the stories It's one of the reasons when I was thinking about what avenues to go down with my coaching of thinking that the podcast was actually really important to me because when I was in that place of burnout, everything was going wrong, my health was terrible, I was in a relationship that wasn't serving me, it felt like I was the first person in the world to go through that. And in reality, I'm not even the thousandth, millionth person in the world to go through that. But I didn't have that frame of reference to know what I could achieve. And so wasn't doing anything about it. And I think that that's so common across so many people is that when you're going through these things of going, the system isn't serving me, this isn't serving me. We don't actually know what is possible out there. So when we have people like yourself sharing stories, it gives you that idea of this is what I could do. Like I don't have to do it exactly like Liz, but I can build something. I can turn my passions into meaningful change for the world. And what strikes me with teachers is you don't go into a career like that unless you want to help people. 
Yeah. And so a lot of the teachers I've talked to on leaving the profession have had like quite a lot of shame about leaving teaching and seeing it as stepping away from helping people. But mm. what kind of the theme that I'm getting for from our conversation is that you're just as passionate about helping people. You're just doing it in a way that is healthy for you and creating meaningful change. Absolutely. And that was one of the things, I mean, I couldn't have done it without the career change coach that I had. Mm -hmm. And she helped me see that my passion for helping people would go in other ways, including, you know, working in a charity. And maybe after working in a charity, I might not work in a charity now, Mm -hmm. but it was the right stepping stone, definitely. But when I first left teaching, I wanted nothing to do with teaching and the education system because I was so hurt by it. Mm -hmm. I think that's quite normal, isn't it? When you burn out and you leave something, you know, it's like a bad relationship. I had a bad relationship with with schools and teaching. Yeah, and then, like, the breakup's never easy. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. If you'd have said to me two years ago that I was going to be doing a business and tutoring, because even tutoring I didn't want to do because I just, I couldn't deal with those memories. And now I'm tutoring and I've started this business to help parents and I'm immersing myself back in the world of education, but in a way that's positive for me rather than in a way that drags me down. And so important to keep making change. You've got to do it in a way that isn't sapping you of life at the same time. And now I'm learning what other things do sap me from of life as well. <laughs> so, you know, like exhaustion from doing too many things, mm-hmm. which is my, that is definitely one of my areas. Yeah. And knowing what does give you energy. I mean, I'm an ambivert and a lot of people haven't heard of ambivert because they don't realise that you can be an introvert and an extrovert at the same time. I know that I need connection with people as a way of giving me energy but I also need downtime. Mm-hmm. So if it goes one way or goes too much, I can't do things. So I have to do the right things and spend the right amount of time with friends, but I also have to have downtime. I have to get out there and have conversations like this with you and do Facebook Lives and put myself out there. And that is part of my passion and part of what gets me going, but I also need to have quiet downtime yeah like you say we're not taught how to do these things at no point until I started receiving coaching myself did someone sit down and say what are your needs and even when they did I was like I need food I need water I need sleep and that's it and they were like really (laughs) are you sure because like because we're not taught to value making sure our needs are met before we try and attempt something big we're not taught that connection can be a need or alone time can be a need we see it as those things that are nice if we ever get a chance I keep coming back to over the past few weeks something that Dr Joe Martin says of without your needs being met you're painful absolutely if we're not taught how to meet our needs or even that we have needs and that it's okay to meet them then it's no wonder that we're experiencing more health conditions and burnout and depression and cancer like you can kind Mm. of see where it's all coming from absolutely and it is so important we do it and I think that we're not teaching our children to do these things with the system we've got I mean one of the reasons I left um you probably you know math is an important subject and I would do a lot of work with year 11 
and I would be told to get them in in the evenings, get them in at weekends, get them in in the school holidays in order to be able to try and get the results up more. So these were, you know, people that weren't getting the grade five as it is now, the magic grade five, which is like a high grade C in old money. Mm -hmm. I was being told you need to do more maths with them. You need to do more, more, more. And I remember somebody said telling me that a girl in my tutor group shouldn't go to work at the weekend. She should be in to do whatever subject it was they wanted her in to do. But going to work gave her, it was important for her self-esteem, for her to have some money. You know, she didn't come from a, a family that had lots of money. So for me, the work ethic of her going to work, I felt was more important. Yeah. And it was better for her mental health. And I felt I was almost being asked to damage children's mental health. Mm. And I couldn't live with myself in that situation. That was damaging my mental health. Yeah, when I'm doing my speech therapy work, the number of 10, 11 year olds who are expressing thoughts of suicide because of yeah. school, like... Oh, it's horrible. It's really it's horrible. Um, you know, the, the CAMS, the, the Adolescent Mental Health Service is overrun. And why are we not looking at why is it overrun? Mm. What is it that's causing that? It's not just social media and games. Yeah. It's, you know, it, it's the system that we're, we're putting them into. Oh, definitely. I could talk on this one for hours. Like, I might need you <laughs> back for a second podcast episode. I know, we can so put the world to rights on this, <laughs> can we? <laughs> yeah. So if people listening are wanting to either get in touch about the charity or about your maths education for parents where will they find you on the internet so my business is called skills for parents so that's skills and the number for parents so i've got a website skillsforparents.co.uk and then i've also got a facebook page I'm in your group as well, Liz Taylor. So there aren't too many Liz Taylors around. There's a few, you know, people can find and connect with me. Great. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for coming on, Liz. And My pleasure. I hope people get in touch. We start the maths revolution. Absolutely. Everybody in the world will be able to do maths by the time we've finished. a really informative conversation for you all. Burnout's a major problem across the whole of our society, not just in teaching. There was a recent Gallup poll that suggested that two-thirds of people in employment were managing at least some level of burnout pre-pandemic. So signs of burnout include increasing levels of stress and frustration about your job. You might get physical symptoms like headaches, stomach aches, increasing emotional exhaustion's a big part of it as well. And all of that creates a reduced ability to perform duties at work. As Liz and I talked about, learning how to prioritise and meet your needs is one of the key strategies for recovering from burnout. Now I'm calling needs those things which make you cranky, painful or unable to function if you don't have enough of them. So it might include food, drink, sleep and so on. But we all also have psychological, emotional and spiritual needs and they can be quite personal to us. Quite often, when our needs aren't met, we reach for our wants and slip into bad habits. Our wants are giving us a temporary buzz, but no lasting replenishment. So if you want some support to learn what your needs are and how to prioritise meeting them, please do reach out. It was a pivotal part of my journey, 
and I'm ready to help you take that step. Next week, our producer Mel will be back on the podcast for a special episode talking about mental health and the ways that creativity and play can support our emotional state. We hope to have you with us next week. Navigating the Storm is hosted by Anna Knight and produced by Anna Knight and Mel Robinson. Mm -hmm.